Good morning, everyone, friends at home. Friends, uh, we celebrate the solemnity of Corpus Christi, or the solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in our liturgical calendar, uh, there are two feasts that happen each year in honor of the Eucharist, um, uh, in a special way, that is. Um, Holy Thursday and the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ that we celebrate this morning. Holy Thursday, recall, is uh, for our for our church the institution of the Eucharist, and it also happens to be the institution of the ministerial priesthood, like Father Mark and like the bishops. Today's solemnity uh, comes uh, from a bit of a different perspective from Holy Thursday. Um, it was established in the 13th century, at a time when the faithful had grown distant from the Eucharist and. Uh, in times before that, uh, the faithful had experienced the sacrament by receiving it and uh, by their standards frequently. However, uh, by the 13th century, the faithful, um, in our studies, I don't quite understand uh, if they were afraid uh, because of something they were taught. Uh, um, a lot of times they were just in awe of the Eucharist. Um, and so they began to distance themselves from the Eucharist. For most, the sacrament was something of great mystery, and rightly so. And to be approached um, back in the 13th century, they were thinking only to be approached rarely, uh, which is not the mentality we should have today. It was looked at and adored from a distance as a divine miracle, rightly so, come down from heaven, absolutely. <laughs> It is said that some of the faithful back then uh, would run from church to church to see the Eucharistic host elevated uh, by the hands of the bishop uh, or at the time of the priest at the consecration of the Mass. And they believed, and I be rightly so, uh, that they would receive a benefit. What faith, huh? Just to be able to see, they felt, was enough. Holy Communion, at least once a year, uh, is what we're at now. Uh, the church is teaching. I'm going to be very careful with this. Because of the mentality of the folks in the 13th century, the church actually had to mandate them receiving it because they were so, perhaps because of sin, afraid to approach it. We understand the theology of that. Or in so awe of it, they uh, um, didn't know what to do. So... Um, finally, the church mandated that people must receive Holy Communion at least once a year in the season of Easter. And why? Because many had stopped going altogether. Such was their fear of their awe of the Eucharist. Interesting enough, in times of plague, the Eucharist was carried solemnly uh, through streets in a monstrance uh, to ward off evil and uh, uh, of course, incense is used when this happens, and um, I am no medical doctor, uh, but there was some argument about whether the use of the incense itself kind of disrupted the particles, if you will, back then of whatever that plague was, and helped to prevent, at the very least, the priest <laughs> from becoming very, very ill. Uh, I only bring it up because we're in the midst of the COVID-19, and... Um, as you will hear when I finish my homily, uh, this will be the last time uh, I can use incense uh, inside the church. 
And uh, it's okay. And still to this day in some countries, my friends, uh, uh, perhaps maybe not right now because of COVID, but public processions with the Eucharist are held in honor uh, of this feast of Corpus Christi. The picture of the first Eucharist that emerges from the Last Supper accounts in the Gospels is different uh, from the latter developments that we have. In the Gospels, there was an intimate meal. I'm speaking now about Holy Thursday. Sorry as I jump around. Um, in the Gospels, uh, remember the last in it, they shared it together with the Lord. And my friends, you have to understand this. The Eucharist is many things. And one of the things that it is, is a sign of unity amongst us. And it stems from the very first one, the Last Supper, because in that moment, it was a sign of unity for them. They came together, and um, it expressed bonds between them. Yes, it nourished them, that meal. And uh, they talked about a ministry, as we would understand it, but they would understand it as service. But they also spoke about brotherly love, fraternity. It served to confirm their identity as Jesus' followers, uh, as his disciples, as apostle, uh, apostles. Uh, in that time of transition, when Jesus was telling them, I'm going to leave you. Because it would be for them to carry on Jesus' mission. And so this meal, as we understand it now as the Mass, became a great sign of unity. And uh, uh, we should reflect, each one of us, and ask ourselves, which of these traditions, Holy Thursday or this solemnity, of Corpus Christi, which one has more influenced us today in our own type of spirituality? And I suspect for the people of today, for the Catholics and the Orthodox of today, uh, it's really a little bit of both, not one or the other. We can see the influence of both these traditions in our own celebration of the Eucharist, which we know as Mass. Huh? Now, my friends, you know, on the one hand, there is the altar uh, that now faces people and the reason the real reason why they did was to try and bring people closer together to try and bring the people closer that's the real reason why they did this and uh, on the other hand uh, as you see particularly in our church our tabernacle is centered properly where it should be um, that's also up for argument. Uh, but uh, this is where our tabernacle is, and it's front and center, and it's closed. And for some, it's mysterious. They've never been close to one. Um, they've never seen inside one. So in this sense, it's a mystery. Of course, the Mass for today's feast is closer to Holy Thursday tradition than it is to the 13th century development that I've been speaking about, um, even in the midst of the pandemic that we have. Friends, the first reading from the book of Deuteronomy refers twice to the manna that nourished the people of Israel on the desert. And uh, uh, that first reading, when you read it more completely, it tells them that they must remain close to God in all things, and particularly in the scriptures. The word it was absolute importance to them. And God then fed them manna from the desert. The second reading emphasizes the unity that all of us share in the one Eucharistic bread, 
while the gospel, um, Jesus promises to feed his followers with his life-giving body and blood. And remember, inside the Eucharist, what we call under both species, bread and wine, it is fully Jesus Christ. In the Eucharist, the bread, body, blood, soul, and divinity. In the blood, body, soul, divinity. It's complete. To, have, to not have one is not to have less. That's not Jesus, <laughs> right? Um, that's not how Jesus thinks. That's, not how he would, that's what I meant. It's not how he would think. My friends, a constant theme is that of God nourishing his people within the context of closeness and intimacy. That is the blessing also being given today on the solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord desires and wants to give us food for the journey to bring us together. Yes, that we may have life, of course, because that's his words, that's what he says. But remember what happened at that first Holy Thursday, that Last Supper. He brought them together and made them become united. And so our Mass is to do the same thing, to bring us together in a close unity that will powerfully witness of Jesus' love in the world. And this world needs that now. And to make people joyful with the assurances that that meal, that this banquet will continue for all eternity. Nothing and no one will stop it. My friends, with all of this, a bit of sadness is in my heart this day, is that the unifying sacrament, which was at the Last Supper, to be such a unifying event, has become for many Christian denominations now a source of disunity and uh, because of understanding, because of theology, because of dogma. And for some Christian denominations, uh, this idea of the Eucharist, as we understand it, uh, is a point of anger and even hatred toward Catholics and Orthodox Christians. The Eucharist is too central to Christ's heart for any Christians, any of them, to ignore it or to use it so wickedly as to divide his people. This is the great scandal amongst Christianity. Is this the one thing that Jesus asks for before he leaves? Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. That they may be in us as I am in you and you are in me. And let this Eucharistic celebration be a tangible sign of that. The Eucharist is too rich in grace for Christians to deny it and to avoid it. And one thing I'll say about those 13th century people was they thought even just gazing upon it would be enough. They understood the generosity of God. The Eucharist embodies everything that Jesus did for this world and everything that Jesus does for us today. 
It is the mystery of faith that gathers together Jesus' teachings, his teachings, his teachings. Go to the scriptures and read it. It's his words. It's his teachings. And it is meant to gather the people together and not to divide them. That is what Jesus intended. And anyone who tries to deny that is just being silly or hard-hearted, as Jesus would have called them back then. You're just being hard-hearted. So, my friends, we pray for that unity. The grace comes from it. We just have to be open to it. My friends, yes, Father is a bit more emotional today than normal um, because uh, on this solemnity of Corpus Christi is a sign of unity that the Eucharist is. And we have been working very hard uh, for weeks uh, to prepare uh, for the public celebration of the Mass again. And there are many rules and there are many guidelines. Twenty, Mark, how many pages are we up to? Seven, seven pages of just guides and rules, but there's 28 total. I don't like everything, but I'm going to do it because nothing can get in the way of the people being able to come back into the church and to celebrate. Perhaps when the vaccine comes, things can, whatever normal will be <laughs> in that time. In a world and in a country that is divided and has so much hate and so much disunity, we Christians must be the ones who make the first step. We must be that sign of unity. doesn't matter if you like this bishop or that bishop or what he said or what he didn't say and what his rule is. Fine. We come together. And my friends, if you think that the priests and the priesthood, ministerial priesthood, we don't suffer, we suffer. We suffer. We suffer in silence and remain obedient because that is what is called. So we priests, we go in the privacy of our homes and make our complaint known to God. But then we come back and we act as shepherds, as symbols and signs of unity. But do not think for one minute that your priests and your pastors do not suffer. They suffer. Your pastor has spent his priesthood, begging people to come and sit in the pew. And then to have government officials and others tell us we cannot breaks my heart. But today, we are doing a trial run, brothers and sisters. <laughs> that is why I'm happy just we have a few people. I want you to know that um, we have a tentative approval. We had to do some final touches on the guidelines. 
I mean, coming to make them come to pass. But I'm hoping that next weekend we will have our 5.30 Mass, our 8.30 Mass, and our 11 o'clock Mass. Now, uh, meaning uh, well, people will come. We're limited for now. 50 people. That's it. Okay. I'll go home and I'll complain about it to God. <laughs> then I will come back <laughs> and I will be your shepherd. We're doing everything we can. Some parishes have moved very quickly. Give God the glory, but don't complain about it. Give God the glory that they were able to do this and to move quickly and to do it properly. We are uh, just about there. My friends, we have, um, this past week, we have sanitized the sanctuary floor, the pews, the carpet was clean and sanitized, the confessional's been sanitized, the narthic's been sanitized, just to go the extra mile. But we're doing all of this not only for the guidelines, but to protect the people when they come in. You will be required to wear a mask. I know, you're looking at me and saying, well, Father, yes, I'm the only one who doesn't have to. And I joked on the way in and said, apparently it doesn't matter if I die from the virus. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's necessary. And uh, I am very comfortable with this. But the people will have to wear a mask when others are pre when they come in through the door. There will be a reservation system. Uh, some parishes are doing a lottery. Uh, but we will do a reservation system. So uh, uh, watch the bulletin. Watch our website. As soon as the final approval is given, uh, which we hope we'll get it this week, and we will begin um, the celebration of uh, the 5.30 and 8.30 and 11 with people present again next weekend, which should, I'm absolutely confident in it. Uh, but you'll have to call the parish secretary and uh, to make reservations. In that, um, when you make the reservation, please, please keep that reservation because um, people are going to be wanting to come to Mass. We will continue to live stream the Mass. And the Archbishop has still given you dispensation, knowing that not everyone can come and others will still be afraid. Uh, so you don't have to be uh, present uh, at a Sunday Mass um, for some time. But we'll continue live streaming. We'll continue doing our best. My friends, we've been asked not to, not to sing because singing... Uh, puts the part particulates into the air. So uh, that's the people are being asked not to sing. Uh, I suppose maybe you'll hum <laughs> along with us. Um, uh, the priest is asked not to chant uh, for that very same reason. Um, while there are many changes, one of the biggest one is the Eucharist and when people will receive it. Only the priest receives the Eucharist at the time of the consecration. The people... Uh, who wish to receive the Eucharist will have to wait till after Mass. They'll stay seated in the church, and then they'll approach uh, through when, when they're called to. And uh, um, it's all valid. There's nothing. It's just the order's out, kind of odd, but it's the way we must do things for now. And friends, you have to remember when it comes to the Catholic Church, we're not congregational in the sense that the Methodist Church becomes its own body here, and the Methodist Church in Tacoma is its own entity, its own corporation. The Catholic Church isn't set up that way. 
and uh, the government recognizes that. We are, uh, if you were to actually look it up, it's called the Corporation of the Catholic Archbishop. That means all the parishes belong to him. It means we are one, one church. Why am I bringing this up? Because if the church in Bellingham has an infraction against it for breaking one of the guidelines, it goes against the whole archdiocese. Not just, a, they haven't, I'm just using them as an example. Or uh, if the church in Gig Harbor does that, it goes against the whole archdiocese. It's not considered to be separate and single. We're considered to be one organization. So uh, all the churches, have, we've got to do what we can to ensure that um, we abide by the guidelines and that uh, there we won't get ceased into cis letters to finally stop because when one stop it'll be all so we have to do our best and it's going to require all of us to be united again if you want do like I do I go home to the rectory and complain to God <laughs> in private then I come back uh, of course you're I would say if you're going to write the bishop all right write the bishop but do so with a pen of charity you can make your opinions known, but do so with charity. And this is what we're called to do. Right? You know, brothers and sisters, on this day uh, of great joy, um, knowing that uh, people will be returning uh, to the pews here at St. Nicholas and Gate Harbor. Um, it's the balm of Gilead, if you will, for me. Right? My friends, we are um, getting closer to our annual Catholic appeal of the 188,000. We've been assessed uh, as our part in the Anglican Catholic Appeal. Uh, the people so far to date have given 96,000. Uh, so we're getting there. We're getting there, and people continue to support our parish uh, through tithing and what we call stewardship so that we continue our ministries. Uh, so I am thankful for many, many things in this day. I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thank you, thankful for, uh, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ and his gift of the Eucharist. Uh, that continues to sustain us and the whole church. Amen? Hallelujah. My friends, uh, again, uh, when it comes to the reservation, please, you must speak directly with um, the secretary. You cannot leave a message saying, I would like to. No, you, you, um, they will call you back. Just leave a message, say you need to make a reservation, they will call you back. My friends, again, my, one of my, the message of my homily is that the Eucharist is a sign of unity. Let us be that, then. Somebody has to step forward first to be that sign of unity. Let it be other, or at least try. Someone has to make the first move, so let it be us. Amen? Hallelujah.